Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke 22? And we've come to verses 54 through 62, and I want to bring you a message from that passage that I call All My Hope is in Jesus. And I guess I'll just sit down and let them sing that two or three times again. That's just one of those songs, you know. So let's look at it. And then I have about five things to say after we've considered the scripture. Then having seized him, they led him away and led him into the house of the high priest. And Peter was following from a great distance. Remember last time, Christ was praying. They went to the Mount of Olives. The Bible says, as was his custom. When he finished every day in the evening teaching in the temple, he, he retired to the Mount of Olives, a particular place with his disciples. Judas, of course, knew the place. And Judas had led a great entourage of soldiers, temple police, and the language from the other gospel accounts especially, the language teaches us that at least 600 tough guys with swords and clubs, Roman soldiers, temple police, came in the middle of the night to arrest Jesus. So, before that happened, Christ had been agonizing in prayer, sweating great drops of blood. Came back to find his disciples asleep and said to them, you need to pray. You need to pray so that temptation will not fall upon you. This story begins earlier than that when after the Lord's Supper... Christ was explaining to his disciples after he had said, I won't eat the supper again with you till the kingdom. He told his disciples that um, he would be betrayed. One of them would betray him. Taking all the gospel accounts together, Christ identified Judas who left, who left immediately but Luke tells us that Peter said, it's not me. I am prepared to go to prison with you and die with you. Jesus responded to Peter. It's back up a few verses earlier. Maybe you'll remember when we went through it. Peter, Satan has strongly desired to access you and sift you like wheat. And he's been granted that permission and when it's all over and you have returned, strengthen your brothers. From there, Mount of Olives, the arrest, Peter takes out a sword, whacks off the ear of Malchus, servant of the high priest, emboldened by something Christ had just done. 
And now Christ tells them that this is not the way with swords. And taking all the gospel accounts together tells them that the scriptures have to be fulfilled. And so they begin to manhandle Jesus. I'm sure they would have tied him up, maybe put chains on him, begin to drag him away in a rough, rough manner. And it was at that point that the disciples ran, every man for himself. Here then, after they've seized Jesus, led him away, taking him in the middle of the night for trumped up charges to the house of the high priest. There's a compound there. Anos and Caiaphas lived in the same general huge compound there as the compound of the high priest. Peter was following from a great distance. Then they, having kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and having sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. Then having seen him, a certain servant girl sitting by the light and having looked intently on him said, this one was also with him. But he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little, Another having seen him was saying, you are also of them. But Peter was saying, man, I am not. And about one hour having elapsed, another strongly affirmed it saying of a truth. This one also was with him for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you say. And immediately while he was speaking of him, a rooster crowed. This was his third denial the other gospel accounts tell us that on this one, Peter cursed and swore. He would have used, he would have used in his cursing and swearing an oath that would have called upon God to the D word him if he was lying. I'm going to guess that fleeting through your mind right now, through all of our minds, let me throw myself in there as well, that we would all say, I would never do that. And we would particularly say, I would never take the Lord's name in vain like that. Take an oath and test the Almighty to curse me. If I was not telling the truth. Well, he just told the lie three times. And the final time he was cursing and swearing. They knew he was. And yet he denied it. Just then. A roaster crowed. Back up a few verses earlier. When Peter said. I'll not. 
deny you. I'll, I'll go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, this, this night won't be over. The rooster won't crow until you have denied me three times. Three times. The rooster crowed and having turned, the Lord looked at Peter. Let me stop right here and give you the scene. Jesus essentially is taken before three tribunals. There are three courts assembled, I guess you'd say. Three times charges are made. The first one in the deep of the night when he's first taken to the high priest. Then he's taken from Anas to Caiaphas for the second trial. And at that point in time, the Sanhedrin was called. And so the Sanhedrin are gathering together. This whole thing is illegal because they're never to do anything without certain procedures and certainly not ever at night. It has to be during the day. So everything is all trumped up and wrong. It's just wrong. Then the cock crows. By this time, they would have been spitting on Jesus. This is sort of an overview. And the details of how it starts and proceeds are given in the verses after this. But we put all the gospel accounts together plus the prophecy of Isaiah plucking out his beard, spitting on his face, hitting him in the face with their fists, probably kicking him and doing all kinds of things, probably have already clubbed him a couple of times with those temple police clubs. Probably eyes swollen, face bleeding and cut by now. Some of his beard torn out. Other part of his beard with spit hanging from his face. The Lord looked at Peter. The cock crowed. Whatever he was doing, everything stopped so that Jesus could turn. And look at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had said to him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And having gone forth outside, he wept. Bitterly. There's a contrast to be made between Judas and Peter. And we'll think about that as we go along. But let me say five things in application to our lives today. A couple of things at the forefront. Peter was at a great distance. That's number one. Did not want to be identified with Jesus. That's number two. And number three, had totally laid the word of God aside because it wasn't until it was all over that he remembered the word of the Lord. 
Well, let's look at it. Let's think about it. Number one, we all know this story too well. Because by action, deed, or word, at some point, we all find ourselves somewhere along the way in a veil of darkness. Where following closely to Jesus just doesn't seem to be the thing. And we follow far away. And we fail to apply the word of God to everything in life, especially some of those times when in that veil of darkness we are following from a distance. And we're not positioned where we ought to be as a follower of Christ. Peter wrote two general epistles which bear his name. This is the next to the last verse. Don't you think, don't you think just like persecuting the church never left Paul's heart and thoughts? His denial of the Lord never left him. And so he writes to the church, therefore you beloved, knowing this beforehand, beware that you be not led away by the lawless error that you fall from your own stability. Peter knows what that's like. And if Peter could do it, man, this is a guy that watched Christ perform miracles and raise the dead, stop a storm, knock down nearly a thousand troops with a thought, followed him and listened to his teachings and at the worst, lowest moment of his life, when he was the most afraid, he denied Jesus with cursing and swearing. I don't know him. I don't know who he is. I'm not, I don't, leave me alone. I don't know who he is. I do not know him. A reminder then from Peter. There comes a time, maybe you were young, maybe you were older, maybe it wasn't too long ago, that the intimidation of the world in your mind was stronger than your allegiance to Christ. And you failed. Peter failed. This is utter failure. You can't, you can't make anything good out of this at all. It is the worst possible testimony. Especially of one of the disciples. The guy who was supposed to be the leader, the strong one, the rock. Just then, the Lord looked at him. Beware that you fall not from your own stability, from your own steadfastness. 
Notice how it's worded. From your own. Edil. Edil is the Greek word up there. Your own strength. Stabilizing strength. This is why we are encouraged, admonished to pray constantly. That we may ever be humbled in the presence of our Lord. Because there is too much of us in us that too often wants to place us on our pedestal. That'll never happen to me. I want that. This is something. I'll never face a time like that. And a person begins to easily move in his own strength. Okay, here was, here was Peter. He... He bragged too much and didn't pray enough and then drifted away from Jesus. All of us should take care before we ever think of ourselves with lofty thoughts. We should go to our knees in prayer. We ought to stay there several times a day. To be reminded in our hearts of how defiled and how depraved we are and that we're only saved by the grace of God. We all know this story too well because in some way, in some degree, we've experienced it. That's the atom that's in us. Number two, there is no good thing in me. Not in any of us. Romans chapter eight. Paul says, for I know that there dwells nothing good in me that is in my flesh. For to will... I'm taking this just directly from the Greek text. This is the way it reads. For to will is present with me, but to do the good is not. To want to do it is there, but to actually do it, it cannot happen through my flesh. There's nothing good in me. Thoughts, actions, words. I have to constantly be humbled and stay humbled before the Lord, my Savior. Humble myself before Him. Always, never miss a moment because that moment can bring you to utter failure like it did Peter. Nothing good in me. If there's one thing we take away from this word today, it's this. There is nothing good in me. 
in my flesh. It won't come from me. It can't. I must be covered with the goodness of Christ. And it is never my goodness if there's any there. It's not mine. The third thing I want to notice here is that his suffering is exact to my failures. You think he didn't have Peter on his heart when he was being falsely accused and abused physically? The way that he was being mistreated? The spitting in his face? The fists that were beating on his body? The beard that was being torn from his face. And then we read on later they were blaspheming him and ridiculing him. Do you know part of what this was all about? It was all about exactly what was happening to Peter. Peter belonged to the Lord. And the Lord knew it. Peter was weak even to the point of denial with cursing and swearing. The Lord had already prophesied it. But you can tell when it says that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. That the troubles and suffering that the Lord himself was going through was not what was on his mind. What was on his mind is how he, the Lord, needed to be strong to take the place of Peter's weakness. He needed to suffer so that Peter could escape. This whole thing, this is a microcosm of the gospel. Here's an old, depraved, fallen sinner at his worst. But even at his worst, here's the best thing you can say about him. He belongs to God. God knows that he's failing, but God has a plan to take him up out of that failure. This is the beautiful thing of having a Savior. So many beautiful things. He died to save us. He lives to keep us. He's coming again for us. No charge could be brought against Peter because Christ is paying the price. And we'll intercede for him. Number four, we should always be careful of bloviation without supplication. Now, that doesn't mean that you're gaseous. That means that you're all puffed up talking about yourself. What did Peter say? <laughs> Shoot, man. I'm ready to go to prison and to die with you. Well, he was, he was, he was a worm in front of a little slave girl. The first one that said, you're one of them. 
big tough fisherman. And he melts in front of this little girl. Do you know why? Because he was more into bloviating than he was supplicating. That's why. Talking about himself, what he could do. We should always be careful of talking about ourselves, especially in these spiritual matters. Because why? Back to a slide or two earlier, there is nothing good in me. Nothing. I can't do anything. Peter is sadly coming to that realization. I can't do this. I can't go to that prison. That prison's too hard and mean for me. I can't die that death. That death is too horrible. But Jesus can and does. Jesus is beginning the ordeal of accepting the punishment, not just for Peter, but for you in your valleys of darkness and denial, for me in my valleys of darkness and denial and weaknesses. Because Christ had already said, when you have returned, when you have turned around, not if, but when you turn around, strengthen your brothers. I already know what your job will be. I already know that I'm going to give you the victory. On your own, you're going to fail, but I'll see to it that you win. Because you're mine. Then, finally, devastation can become restoration. The Lord is always watching. He was watching Peter. I, I spent two days studying the grammar of the accounts of the crowing of the rooster. <laughs> it's a, it is a singular thing, but in the action that occurs because of the context, the definite article is not required. Here's what I mean. How many roosters were crowing according to the Bible? Just one. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. We never had chickens at my house. Well, I had a pet chicken one time. It, did, it didn't last too long. But it never made it to puberty. It's funny how every living thing thinks that chicken is good, tastes good. 
But I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess that when it starts turning to dawn, in that kind of society where there would be more than one rooster, now you can correct me if I'm wrong, more than one will begin to crow. Am I right? Okay. But in the divine and sovereign and providential way of our Lord, his prophecy was when a rooster crows. Peter did all of his denials and then a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. To me, now this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. But to me, one of the profound things is that apparently of all of the roosters that were around, at least for the moment until Peter saw the Lord looking at him after his third denials, all the other roosters were just restrained. A lot of roosters choked up. It wasn't, that's not the Bible, that was just, that's, but if, but if I ever, if I ever write the movie, it's going to look like that. A lot of surprised roosters and just one of them just carrying on. Because this is how the Lord said, and this is what made it to me, this is what made it so profound to Peter. Then the Lord looked at him. Then the Lord looked at him. He went out and wept bitterly, the Bible says. Judas went out and hung himself. But he had this one golden thread that he could hang on to. That in the whole account of the prophecy of his denials, Christ said, when you have returned, when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. You see, there are a lot of devastations in the lives of Christians. Awful things. But let me tell you what's automatically built into it in your life and mine in Christ. The restoration. How? Why? Because of what Christ was going through and would go through all the way to the cross. He carried the worst of the things that we've ever done. All of it. All of, the, all of the evil that is ours. Our evil nature. Our tendency to do bad things and say bad things. He took all of that to the cross. Buried it in the tomb. To bring out from the tomb the victory that is ours. So we all have a great lesson in Peter, but the bottom line is this. All my hope is in Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?
Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. According to the scriptures. If you admit that you're a sinner. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. The only Savior. And by confessing sin, call upon him to save you. He will save you. In a moment, we'll stand and sing our song of invitation. Come to Christ today. Come to me and just say, Pastor, I want to be saved. Or say, Pastor, I have this week or in times past received Christ as my Savior. And I come today just in the act of coming forward to publicly profess. And maybe to follow him in his call, in obedience to his call to baptism. If you're here and you're already a Christian and the Lord has laid it on your heart that this is where you would plant your life as a believer to study his word, to become disciples like the rest of us, to fellowship with other believers and to serve him here in however way he has gifted you to serve him. You come, we'll take care of all the details of church membership. Father God in heaven, we're powerless and there's nothing else we can do. So we're, of course, depending upon the power of your Holy Spirit to reach out, convict, to call as you see fit. And whatever happens, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, okay? You come.